Today's episode is brought to you by Path 11 TV, inspiring entertainment for the spiritually curious. With a Path 11 TV membership, you get instant access to over 100 hours of exclusive video content that explores consciousness, healing, and life after death. Also with the Path 11 TV membership, you can attend our monthly events and live streams free. In the past few months, we've already had medium readings with Drew Callie and Suzanne Northrup, along with a numerology session with Nicene Siegel and Chinese face readings with Marla Goldberg. Join us for our next event, July 21st, for another gallery reading, this time with medium Mark Schmidt. You can start your Path 11 TV membership for just $9.99 a month or get two months free by getting an annual membership. Podcast listeners can save even more by using coupon code PODCAST30. This will take 30% off, making your first year only $70. That's only 20 cents a day. Don't hesitate because this offer is only good for a limited time. All membership plans have a seven-day free trial. So start streaming with your membership to Path 11 TV today by visiting path11tv.com and start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with our exclusive library of inspiring entertainment. Now let's get to today's show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast today. I have a very special guest today, Carl Greer. He's a retired clinical psychologist and Jungian analyst, a businessman, a shamanic practitioner, author, and philanthropist. He is the best-selling, award-winning author of Change Your Story, Change Your Life, and Change the Story of Your Health. But today, uh, we're going to talk about his newest book called The Necktie and the Jaguar. So, Carl, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you, April. Good to be here. Yes. So, the necktie and the jaguar, it's a story about you reinventing your life as a result of honoring your longings and meaning for purpose. You really present some phenomenal questions for the reader to ask themselves. And you kind of mentioned in the very beginning of this book that as we read your story, we might begin to wonder and ponder what our story is. And really asking ourselves, have we been very honest about our story? What would our story be? How do we tell it? And how do we experience it? Experience it through our own perceptions. So the questions that I kind of want our listeners to ponder as you and I talk are some of the questions that you give to your reader, which is when you think about the answers to the questions, consider whether there are things that you wish you have done differently in your life. We would like you guys to think about whether there's anything you can do today to make up for what you did or didn't do in the past. And could you reclaim any aspect of yourself that you became disconnected from? So these questions that you pose to the reader in this book right in the beginning are pretty heavy duty. (laughs) They're intense. And I know that this is like the way that you've thought since you were a child, right? That's true. 
Yeah. So give my listeners just a little bit more of your background because, you know, to go from being a businessman and then all of a sudden you're studying Carl Jung and you're becoming an analyst for that. And then in your 60s, you started doing work in shamanism. So pretty amazing. Give us some background. Very true. I uh, was in a world of competition. Business has competitive aspects to it. Sports have competitive aspects to it. And I, I noticed that in Alberto's trainings, there were more women than men, but the men sometimes wanted to compete with who was the smartest man and who could top the other's stories. And I was aware of those tendencies in myself. And I think I was learning to curb them and understand them for what they were. And Alberto certainly is an alpha male himself. And for me to become friends with him and teach with him was, uh, I think, important part of my development as a person and as a shamanic practitioner. Yeah. So can you give me a little backstory about how, you know, shamanism kind of came into your life around the age of 60? And and I don't know if it was a little bit beforehand, but you really talk about the significance of being able to journey, being able to basically see the unseen and how that's really an important aspect for us to be able to live so we can, you know, drop a lot of our fears and work within the subconscious realms when you can be able to kind of venture into these other realities. So what was the connection that eventually brought you into shamanism? As a uh, very young boy, I had childhood uh, illnesses. My parents thought that one time I might have had. So I was in bed, school by myself for a month. I was also just, my life was such that I was out on my own at a, at a young age. And I spent time in nature. And at a age of four or five, I had a, a very meaningful experience for me. I went to a farm at the end of the street where we lived. And, I just saw a tree that all of a sudden seemed to become alive and I, the tree became intermingled and that sense of connection with something other than myself stayed with me. So I think that energy within guided me towards the reading that I did sometimes when I was sick had to do with Native Americans and shaman type things. And that energy carried over even into my 20s and 30s when I started to read the Carlos Castaneda books and Lynn Andrews and Hearing No Storm, you know, books about shamanic adventures. And Michael Harner's books I read. And I started to do on my own uh, journey work with drums and rattles and didgeridoos. And it took some, some journeys. And uh, then when I read Alberto's book, Shaman Healer Sage, that motivated me to start to study with him and all of all the teaching in school. And subsequently after that, do some teaching of my own and gave me a spiritual path that has been important to me ever since. So it's been planted April 
within me that desire from a very early age, and I just found opportunities to give voice to it through serendipitous experiences, synchronistic experiences. So that now as an 80-year-old, I've been able to reflect back on how that has changed me having had those experiences. Yeah. And I know, I think I read it in one of your blogs too, that you underwent some of your own health challenges later in life and that you really felt like being able to journey in in between both realms and use some of these shamanic practices and knowing the ability and how to be able to heal yourself and look at that, that that has also kind of helped the longevity of your life moving forward. That that is absolutely true. I mean, I've written about it and I thought about it and I believe that you know, the physical and the emotional and the spiritual and the psychological are all kind of intermingled. And if uh, you have an ailment at one level, it's often tied into those other realms. And by working at the energetic level and the spirit level, I think you can affect these other le- levels in positive ways. I mean, I've had atrial fibrillation, I've had blocked arteries I've had in the last year and a half, open heart surgery, bypass surgery. I've had radiation treatment for prostate cancer. And as a man suit could be 81, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, my life's just... Yeah, you're looking really good too. <laughs> so I'm able to do stuff and, and who knows what causes what, but I think the spiritual practices that I do, energetic work that I do, and the time that I spend in nature have contributed to me being around when a lot of my family members died a lot earlier than I did. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, in chapter 13 of letting go and let's bring in the Jaguar, the energy of the Jaguar. It was a really neat kind of experience the way that you laid it out and wrote about it as you were kind of moving into ceremony and you were given a rock, the jaguar stone and, you know, things kind of coming to life for you and you spitting the water out on it, you know, where Alberto was kind of, you know, saying you need to feed it, you know, you need to feed it or else it'll feed on you. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about the significance of the jaguar, of that spirit animal and what that, what the jaguar represents. In, the shamanism that you've been trained in? Well, there's a kind of metaphysical uh, way to talk about that, which I will, but there's also just the experience that I had, which is one of the important things in shamanism, that it's a, it's a practice of experience and not so much in your head. And so you have experiences that it's up to you to decide the meaning of those experiences and what you want to do with them. So as opposed to writing about it or thinking about it, talking about it, you're actually experiencing it and then trying to incorporate those experiences into your life. So this particular night, Alberto and I were working with the energies of Jaguar and fire. And uh, so we wanted to learn those teachings. And sort of the Jaguar work, I had a stone that a shaman hundreds of years ago that put the energy of a jaguar in, his own energy, the stone energy, probably at a place like Machu Picchu facing west. You don't know that part. So during the course of the, the work that night, 
that stone literally became pulsing and its eyes started to move. And this is some of the things that if a person has a bench mnemonic work, you think it's all woo-woo and you don't believe that it's <laughs> so. But it was so. And when you get into those realms, uh, the energy of that which you're working with can start to uh, use your energy. So Alberto was saying, go feed it, feed it. And we fed it with Florida water, which is, you know, it's an alcohol-based thing that uh, people use almost like a aftershave, but it's used in ceremony. So we spritzed it. The idea was before it feeds on, on us. So we had made shared mystical experiences that, that evening in lots of realms, lots, lots of places. But kind of the takeaway for me was at a more metaphorical level, if you don't feed on some of these, if, if you don't honor some of these things, they will feed on you. So if you have a, a yearning for more in your life, spiritual practices or to express yourself in ways that you haven't and you deny that, you can be fed on and, and develop physical psychological problems because you haven't honored that part of you. So it was a good reminder of that, that it was really literal. In this case, this energetic being, this entity was feeding on us and needed to be fed. Yeah. So with this experience now, granted, you know, Alberto has done a lot of this work, you know, before, and it's in, you know, a controlled environment in, in the sense, like if we were doing psychoanalysis or, you know, hypnotherapy, there's the practitioner that's kind of leading and making sure that the client doesn't get lost in the journey, sure. right. And facilitating. So as the Jaguar also represents letting go of fear, right. And letting go of fear and, and fear of death. With these experiences that you had, is there a fear in shamanic work that you could go through experience like this and say you didn't feed the jaguar and then, you know, you're kind of having like a bad trip that people might say, you know, if they were using psychedelics or something, which isn't the case here in in the ceremony work that you're doing. But could there ever be consequences to maybe being so riddled with fear in a ceremony like this that you don't feed the jaguar and that you feel like the jaguar feeds on you and then you come out of the ceremony and you just don't feel the same. Anytime one works with the unconscious, there's always the possibility the unconscious will overpower the consciousness and you as a therapist know that fear and how does one protect against that? The answer is you have a relatively strong ego consciousness that can interact with the unconscious and you titrate your experiences with it as best you can. Now, having said that, it's much more rare that that happens than one might think. Nonetheless, when you're doing shamanic work, if you're doing it with the sacred plants or just a journey, you may encounter things that are unexpected because it's unconscious and you may not be able in the moment to, it's been my experience working with many people around those types of issues that if you 
stay with the process. You get out of it, get back into your normal state, but it may not be like instantaneous. You said, gee, what just happened? And that can be scary, but also transformative because you may need to have had that experience to get a new insight into what's been going on and is going on in your life so that you have information that you may want to change things. So, but having said that, if one is going to use the plants, for example, one should be aware that they interact with drugs, you know, some antidepressants as, as a example. And it would be wise for a person who's going to take those trips to, if they have medical conditions, talk to their doctor before they take, you know, ayahuasca or San Pedro or things like that. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, so the plants could interact with the medication that the person is on. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, they can. And interact clearly not in a great way. Like what, cause I know sometimes when people are on the antidepressants and if they're looking to come off of them, there's usually a titration schedule. They, it's usually recommended that people don't just stop their antidepressant due to side effects. So if, you know, for our listeners, if people are taking an antidepressant thinking about an ayahuasca ceremony or San Pedro or something like that, would people need to be fully off of those medications before participating? I think they should. Uh, it, in any case like that, April, talk with your doctors. And then the doctor would be able to, I, I mean, it's a, how the neurotransmitters, in this case, say serotonin, are affected by what drug they have and what might be uh, happening to, to them with whatever the psychoactive drug is that they're going to be using. Gotcha. Okay. So, so you really need to get, it's not a trivial kind of situation. You, you need to find out about it. And to your earlier point, uh, about the role of the shaman or good therapist. It's important to hold space for the process of whoever you're working with. And, and that just is a, a practice of intent and, and skill and, 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 and practice. You, I mean, you practice by doing it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good inter- Good. Good information there. And then I'd also, you know, what comes to mind is thinking, well, people probably have to find a very open-minded psychiatrist because I could see psychiatrists maybe saying like, well, I don't know if we'd want to stop this. I don't know if going and taking a plan is the best thing. You know, it's like you'd really have to have somebody in the, that Western world maybe have their own experiences with shamanism or knowing what ayahuasca can do and how it has helped people before, where I can almost see maybe some doctors really encouraging clients not to move forward with that type of healing ceremony. They, they could. A, any paradigm that's different than the paradigm that you've been, you know, taught to do can be threatening and in some case appropriate. And so in some cases, just, you know, nobody likes to try the, the new thing. And that, right. that tension in medicine is there between integrative medicine and traditional you know, allopathic medicine and uh, homeopathic medicine and energy medicine. And yet more and more doctors are being trained in integrative approaches where the idea that what you eat is important and managing your stress is important, that exercising is important. And so I think more and more that's in the mainstream, but it always hasn't been. 
you know, people, and even within the area of uh, what you eat, there's large uh, divisions about what's a, what's an appropriate diet for a particular purpose. Right, exactly. There's so many different diets out there, so many theories about being vegan, vegetarian, uh, a carnivore diet. It's like it's all all overwhelming on what we're supposed to be doing. And lately, I've just been kind of trusting what my body's telling me. I'm like not adapting to anybody's rules about food anymore or what's healthy. I've really been turning inward and asking my body, what do you want? What feels good? And been doing my own journey with that. Yeah, well, that's Part of the, the things I'm talking about in my book is, is learning to trust those inner parts of ourselves that know and being able to have a conversation with them. Because there are some wise parts of ourselves, I believe, that for us have uh, some meaning. And yeah. in, the, in the larger world, I remember you know, the idea, I think it's Michael Pollan, that eating real food, you know, not processed food, not too much, and mostly plants. Right. So mostly plants, not too much real food. That's hard to do sometimes if you're like me, but it's uh, pretty good advice. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, keep it simple. Life is pretty simple and we can make it overcomplicated. We can overcomplicate it sometimes, but yeah, it's a good formula to follow. We just wanted to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, Path 11 TV. Not a fan of watching videos on your computer or laptop? Neither are we. That's why we recently launched the Path 11 TV app for your smartphone and TV. Now you can watch on your iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Or if you prefer to wind down in your living room, you can now watch on your Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire devices. For listeners of the podcast, the easiest way to get started is by pointing your web browser to path11tv.com and starting a seven-day free trial. But be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30, again, that's PODCAST30, to take 30% off of an annual membership for maximum savings. Once your membership is started, visit your smartphone or TV's app store and download the Path 11 TV app. Once downloaded, you can then link to your newly created account and start streaming on the go or relaxing in your living room. Visit path11tv.com for all the details. The other comment that I just wanted to make too, which was really helpful in reading your book, was how you interpreted these experiences that really kind of hit home with me. Like you would tell the story about things that would happen during these uh, shamanic journeys, but then it was like, what was the metaphor for me? You know, and so you didn't get so wrapped up necessarily in what it was that you were seeing and experiencing. Like, that's kind of fun. And that's really, you know, interesting and like, wow, did I really see that? Did this really happen? But you really went more to the metaphor and really tried to apply it. And that helped uh, me because I've been through a couple of shamanic ceremonies. I'm pretty close with a few shamans of different lineages. And I was thinking about this one experience as I was reading your book and never really processed it up until like I read your book (laughs) to this day. And I remember we were doing the strumming ceremony and all of a sudden I saw the floor open. 
and could see what the people were releasing into earth. I mean, you know, I was in a studio that had a wood floor, but it was no longer a wood floor. It was as Mm. if Mother Earth came up and completely opened up to this soil and like this dark space. And I could see little critters in it. And, you know, kind of like, you know, opening and closing my eyes really quick. Like, what am I seeing? But like... Mm. I was seeing in two different dimensions. I could see the wood floor, (laughs) you know, I'm like, okay, I'm in a studio right now. I'm in my office. And I'm like, but I can also still see this earth completely opening. And um, I haven't really thought much about it until, you know, reading your book and, you know, kind of have always kept that in my mind. Like, what the heck was that? What did I see? And why was I seeing in two different dimensions? And what did it mean? But, you know, didn't really kind of go into the analysis of it. But I think that reading your book is really helpful for me to sit back and go back to some of my journals of some of these visions that I had during my journeys, and really begin now looking back years later, with a different mindset of interpretation for those and really trying to go more into the analysis like you did. So I just thought that was really helpful for me. Well, that's, that's a great insight that you have about, uh, I think how things work in those realms, because the idea of uh, shamanic work and Jungian work is to go to unconscious places and Jungians, uh, I mean, shamans may call it transpersonal places. So you were in a place other than this ordinary every day. And how you got there is a little bit of a mystery. You know, the drumming maybe changed the, the way your brain was working. Your said her sympathetic nervous system kicked in maybe. And so a lot of things physiologically happened, but nonetheless, you had an experience that gave you some energy and information that you hadn't had before. And in the idea of kind of quantum cosmic time where time past, time future, time present are all kind of squished together. The fact that you maybe are going to years later go into that in, in that sense, doesn't now, now is the time. And one thing that I find very useful for myself and for others is to then have a process April where you can actually interact with that image, that feeling in, in a conversation. I call it a dialoguing process where mm. you could embody it maybe in a stone that you have below the energy of that floor that opened up in the critters and so forth, put that stone across and you would ask, ask it, you know, what meanings do you have for me? You, this experience, and then become it, go over, pick up the stone and let it speak. And this is the, the trick, not, not you from your April ego side, but, but this it's your experience, your feelings around it. But all of a sudden you become it and let it speak. And if a person does that and practices that, it's amazing what information they can get for themselves that is different than reading it in a book or a therapist telling you or a shaman saying this is what it meant. And for me and others that I know, that's been a very helpful part of our own process to, to do. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely going to do that. And I love the fact that that experience isn't over right? It's like, it's still a memory. I can still vividly see it. And I can consistently, you know, from what you're saying right now is that I can continue to dialogue with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm so excited. And, and I that I can, then, can then lead you to other even experiences related to it that you wouldn't have gotten to had you not done the process. Right. And I also am a true believer too, that 
you know, whatever this divine intelligence is, it there's a really good mechanism for timing to know when your consciousness is ready to explore it. You know, mm. maybe four years ago, I think I might have been too wrapped up in this whole like, oh, there's a shaman here and OK, the strumming's happening and whoa, I'm seeing this stuff. But was I really mature enough in my consciousness to go there where I, where I am today and could probably be less freaked out about it, you know, not hold as much fear, have more curiosity and know maybe how to dialogue with it, like how to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Big insight. Yeah. Because I think for all of us, timing is, is important. What is the right time for a new process or a new change in our, in our life? And if we can kind of trust our gut in that, that's good because sometimes we force it. It's just like, you know, as a therapist, you may have the, the best insight in the world as to what's going on for somebody, but it may not be the right time for you to share that. Exactly. Exactly. Because you just know that a person's just not not ready either to receive it or they're not quite there in their process to, you know, be able to do anything with that. Yeah. The other story that I absolutely loved, and I just have to bring it up too, it was still in this chapter because I love stars. I love going out and looking at the stars. I'm fascinated by the stars. And So I just love the story that you told where it's like you kind of grabbed some star energy and felt that and asked Alberto if you could give it to him and like, can you put this star energy, you know, into him and it knocked him back a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's funny just reading stories like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I want to go play with the stars. (laughs) Like, yeah, why not reach out and, and grab that and bring some of that beautiful, you know, star energy into my body and use it for healing. And I'm totally like a person that would, you know, go outside tonight and I talk to the stars. I talk to the star beings out there. They've responded to me with like shooting stars on command before, you know, it's a lot of fun, but I never thought to like, bring it down and in. So I just, I just had to comment on that story because I really resonate with the stars and and love that story that you told. Now, this is the therapist in me that absolutely loves this (laughs) Um, because I'm all about questions to ponder. And after each chapter, Carl has a reflection and then there's questions for the reader to ponder. And as I was going through the different chapters, I found myself in a couple of chapters, skipping the chapter and going right to the questions. I'm like, what does he want me to ponder? Let me see these questions (laughs) because they're so deep and they are so good. And they are so like, it does feel like psychoanalytical and you start right from childhood, right? And I was thinking like, I just have to tell my audience, like, if you need to take a break with your therapist and save some money on copays, buy Carl's book and get your journal out because you will do so much deep work just answering these questions that you have proposed, you know, and, you know, throughout the whole book, it's about 304 pages. I mean, you have given me a lifetime of questions to ponder and to really analyze about myself. So how did you kind of, you know, intuitively know to come up with that and put that in your book after each chapter? Well, I, I started off not necessarily intending to, to publish a book. I was just reflecting on my life as I was getting older, putting down some notes and trying to make sense for me things. And then I thought, well, maybe I could share some of these stories with my kids and my grandkids and maybe a few friends that 
I've written a couple of other books who are interested in a little bit of my story. And then as I continued to write with that in mind, I was thinking, you know, some of the things that I've been wrestling with, I know some of my other readers, because they let me know that, wrestled with. And maybe I can, you know, use my experiences as a, an example and then see if other people have had similar experiences, what they've made of them and how they handle them. And so it kind of evolved like that, April. You know, I kind of started this and then I said, well, what, are, what are some questions and themes that were up for me that maybe other people might find useful to think about? And so that's how it came about. I love them. I, I think I printed out the one that I was like, oh, this was really interesting. Some tough questions too. Uh, it might've been like the third chapter, but I just kind of want to share it with my audience and give them some more questions to ponder in this podcast. But you have uh, questions to ponder fighting in conflict. Have you ever had a verbal or physical fight in your life? How did you feel before such encounters during them and afterwards? What, if any, fights physically or verbal do you remember from your childhood and teen years, whether you were directly involved in them or simply observing them? What lessons did they teach you about conflict? And, you know, I remember, so again, like, this is why I say these questions are so good, because it made me think about things that I hadn't even thought about in years. Like the first time I ever got pushed on the playground, you know, or got bullied. And I had a really traumatic experience in college where, you know, we were in a dorm room and my friends and I, we were just hanging out. And we heard this rustling at night. It might have been like one in the morning. We went out and there were, there were like these people probably maybe connected to some sort of gang uh, related thing. And this person had this bat and hit this woman in front of us, you know, with, with a bat. I've never seen any uh, such violence to this day, you know, and I could still hear, you know, hear it of the bat hitting the head and this woman just falling down. I mean, it was, we were like, holy crap, what is going on here? You know? And then, you know, a couple of other, you know, incidences in my life with that. But it's like, wow, that's really interesting to like go back and think about fighting and conflict. And then, you know, your questions, how do you stand up for yourself and others? How do you integrate some of these experiences that, you know, you've seen with fighting and conflict? And then in the same chapter, and these questions really go along uh, with the theme that you're writing about in each chapter. And then the other questions in this question to ponder is also about competition, hard work and perseverance and replenishing your soul. So, you know, again, it was like, oh, yeah, really interesting, you know, with competition. What, if anything, do you like about being in competition with others? Now, I was a three sport athlete all through high school and college, so I was like super competitive for a long time. And that really shifted, I would say, later 20s, early 30s. And it kind of felt weird to have this competitive part of me die because I would, I would turn anything into a game. I would turn anything into like, okay, let's figure out who could win first. You know, it was like all about competition. And then I kind of felt a little evolution with that. And then it was like, I don't need to compete anymore. And like a part of that, like kind of died off on me. But again, I just kind of wanted to highlight some of these questions, how they really make you think and ask yourself and internalize a little bit. And for me, answering these questions, let me see where I was, how far I've come, and then how much work I still have to do. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sure that's part of the intent, too, that you're hoping some of your readers get out of the, this section to ponder. That's my hope. 
<laughs> well, beautiful. It was a fun, fun book to read. And again, everyone, it's called The Necktie and the Jaguar. Carl Greer, everyone, and you can um, find him at his website. We will also put that in the show notes. And uh, Carl, do you have any last parting words or, you know, any message that you would like to give to my audience that they can give them something to ponder, you know, that they can reflect upon? Well, it's never too late to change. You always have uh, time, even if you're, I've experienced this with people uh, uh, having a terminal illness. It's still possible to change at the margin, and it requires a little time to reflect and being honest with yourself as to what is, and then what it is you would like it to be. And then if you are encountering parts of yourself that don't want to change, work with those parts by doing some of the shamanic and psychological things that uh, one can do to see what the unconscious part of you would really say. And by honoring all those parts and being still more and more and spending time in nature, I think it's really possible to cause things to happen in your life that otherwise wouldn't. And it's never too late to have that be the case. Beautiful. Well, it's such an honor to have you as a guest, to sit virtually across from you and uh, have this conversation. Thank you so much uh, for being on the Path 11 podcast today. Thanks for having me. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation, April. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Again, one more time, The Necktie and the Jaguar with Carl Creer. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.